millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Germany in Focus, a news podcast made possible by members of The Local. This week, we're talking about the German love of lakes. We'll discuss a new European night train service that's just launched. The number of German citizenship applications has increased significantly recently. We'll talk about why and we'll get into residency permit backlogs and the effect this is having. People with a migration background in Germany often have to deal with discrimination in their daily life. We'll hear from journalist Shelley Pasquale on why the question, where are you from, needs to be rethought. Lastly, we will talk about some events happening in Germany this June. I'm Rachel Loxton and I'm in Berlin today with journalists Rachel Stern and Imogen Goodman. Hello, how's it going? Hi, yeah, uh, great, thanks. Had a lovely bank holiday weekend. I went to Carnival on Sunday, a few open-air parties, which was absolutely amazing. It's so good to be doing stuff like that after the pandemic. Um, and yeah, I'm just feeling refreshed, but happy nice. to be back. Nice. So you've recovered from the parties? Just about. I did need that <laughs> Monday off. <laughs> Definitely. Good. And Imogen, I have to ask, how did you get on in your citizenship test last week? Yeah, I think pretty well. I won't actually get the results for another couple of months. They warned us not to be too impatient about it and said it was taking about eight weeks at the moment. But I'm pretty confident that most of the questions were right. There was just one that I looked up afterwards on the date that the Berlin Wall was built that I think I might have got wrong. But, you know, history questions, I think they're the hardest part of the test. Mm -hmm. And we do have an article that you wrote on the questions that you were asked. So we'll include that in the show notes. Exactly. You can you can avoid making my mistakes <laughs> if you get the same questions as me, especially that Berlin Wall one. Are you well, Rachel? Yeah, I'm doing really well, Rach. I had a nice long weekend. My dad visited all the way from California. Hi, dad, if you're listening to this. And it was nice to do all of the touristy things in, a, in and around Berlin, um, including visiting Hamburg and going to some of the lakes, which we're going to talk about soon. Yes, we are. So let's start off by talking about Germany's obsession with lakes, especially in the summer season. So we're recording this on Wednesday, May 31st. It's very hot outside. And those who haven't spent a lot of time in Germany might not be aware of how popular going to a lake is in summer is pretty much a national pastime. And Germany is actually home to more than 12,000 lakes. So let's start off with some more facts. Imogen, what can you tell us about Germany's lakes? Yeah, I mean, as you say, going to the lake in Germany is a national part, pastime. And I think of it a little bit like going to the seaside in the UK. It's just really not summer until you've had that experience and spent a day swimming and just sitting in the sun doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And um, eating ice cream. Eating ice cream, of course. Perhaps uh, some hot dogs, <laughs> if, if that's your yeah, thing. Or currywurst. <laughs> 
But yeah, like you say, you know, there are thousands of lakes in Germany and you can find them pretty much all over the place in every state. But by far the most famous lake district in the country is the Mecklenburg Seenplatte, which is described in English as the Mecklenburg Lake District. So this is just a really popular holiday destination from Germans, I think especially people in the northeast like Berlin. And even though the lakes in Mecklenburg aren't quite as breathtaking as some of the alpine lakes down south, it is a really pretty part of the country and there's plenty of beautiful forests, fields, completely unspoiled countryside. The other really cool fact about this area is that there are at least 600 interconnected lakes there. So it is absolutely ideal for a houseboating holiday if you like to have a change of scenery while sailing around the lakes. That said, the state with the most lakes is actually neighbouring Brandenburg, uh, which has around 2,900 lakes across the state, compared to around 2,000 in Mecklenburg, Western Pomerania. So if you live in the northeast, you are absolutely spoiled for choice. The other thing to know is that there's quite a funny debate uh, raging over which of Germany's lakes is actually the largest. So Bodensee, or Lake Constance, in Baden-Württemberg, would be the obvious answer. Um, it spans about 536 square kilometers and it's 254 meters deep. So this is just a massive lake. But since part of Lake Constance actually belongs to Austria and Switzerland, some people argue that the real biggest lake in Germany is Moritz in Mecklenburg. Although it only has a service area of around 117 square kilometers, so it's a fair bit smaller. Amazing. We love these facts. And are they safe to swim in, Rachel, the lakes? Yeah, Rach. So year after year, Germany's environmental agency has said that around 95% of German lakes have a safe water quality. So you can definitely spend as much time as you want in them without having to worry about it. But in recent years, German health authorities have also said that a few lakes that are um, on shores with a lot of plants and birds around have these tiny larvae which can cause a red skin inflammation. And so they say that if you are by a lake that has a lot of greenery around it or animals, that you just should shower or bathe as soon as you finish going for a swim. Um, and if you're worried about a particular lake, then, of course, check with your local health agency. Really good advice. And what tips would you give someone heading to one of Germany's beautiful lakes? Well, I'd say that first and foremost, make sure you pack plenty of drinks and snacks and a comfortable blanket because going to the lake in Germany is usually a day-long activity. And secondly, well, as Rachel said, most of the lakes in Germany are safe for bathing. You might just want to look out for any signs designating a protected natural area or Naturschutzgebiet. These are areas where swimming can actually damage the wildlife and spoil the natural landscape and habitats. So there's often a designated bathing area, which will be signposted where you can swim instead. Actually, at my local lake, Plötzensee in Berlin, uh, most people tend to ignore the swimming ban in the protected wildlife area. So they've recently had to resort to putting up big signs warning people that there are sharks in the water, <laughs> though obviously there aren't. Great. And Rachel, what are your tips? Yeah, so I would say to avoid going on the weekend or holidays, just because as you can imagine, the lakes get really busy during that time. And so I try to either go before noon or after 6 p.m. since it stays so light out. And I think if you are going 
going to a lake during a particularly uh, popular time, then choose a lake that's a little bit bigger, like Vanze, because then you're more likely to be able to stake out a spot and still go for a dip. Yeah, and I would say one thing about Germans going to lakes is they are always so prepared. A lot of them, they take a kind of trailer with every single thing under the sun just to prepare for the lake. So you'll never be as prepared as the Germans, I believe. <laughs> Definitely not. They often uh, bring hammocks as well. Absolutely. You know, they, they create a whole special den in the forest at the lakeside and they're there for the long haul. It's quite impressive. Yeah, I was at Schlachtensee this past weekend and there were Germans who had set up these tent cities where they even had music playing and a table with all sorts of food as mm -hmm. though they were about to camp there for a week, even if it was just for two hours. Yeah. And one thing I would also say is be careful and look out for wild boars because it can happen that they are in the woods if you're around a lake and there's lots of greenery. And it has happened in the past that they come and steal your stuff. So that is something to watch out for, as well as various other wildlife <laughs> Those wild boars emerging from the sea, you definitely got to watch out for those. <laughs> yeah, they've done that too, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, the Baltic Sea. <laughs> yeah, there's all the sorts of wild boar stuff going on here. The jaws of Germany. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you have a favorite lake, Imogen? I do. I'm actually a big fan of Stecklinger See in Brandenburg, which is absolutely stunning. It's beautiful water, often pretty warm in summer and surrounded by pine forests that are just so typical of this part of Germany. And the brilliant thing about going to this lake is that it's actually situated next to the beautiful, very historic village of Neuglobsal. So it makes this perfect day out. You can walk around this historic village and then enjoy a dip in the lake. And funnily enough, I actually went to Stecklin and then bought Der Stecklin, um, a book by uh, Fontana, uh, the German writer, without realizing that I'd been to Stecklin I'd stopped there on a bike ride. So it's um, got a special place in my heart for this co coincidence and it's a really great book as well if anyone's interested in reading it. Very cool. Yeah, and I have a soft spot for the Alpsee near Schwangau in Bavaria. I visited a few years ago also as part of a long bike ride and it really felt like something out of a fairy tale with crystal blue waters and mountains in the background. So very idyllic. Stunning. I would recommend Tegelersee in Berlin. It's a really, really gorgeous lake, lovely clear waters. And I really like it because there's a little stall where you can get chips and ice cream. And there's also a little toilet. So it's a really nice one. It's easy to get to as well. As we get into the warmer months, many of us will be thinking about taking a trip but don't really want to go to the hassle of booking a flight or going to the airport, especially because it's really expensive at the moment. So step forward, night trains. And a new service has just launched that should make it easier to get around Europe and even to the UK. Imogen, can you tell us more about the European sleeper? I can. 
And I have to say that this is primarily great news for Berliners because we finally get a night train that offers a direct service from Berlin to Brussels, which stops at Amsterdam, Rotterdam and Antwerp along the way. So at the moment, uh, the European sleeper is only set to run on alternative days of the week. It departs from Brussels somewhere between 7 and 9 p.m., depending on the day, on Monday, Wednesday and Friday evenings, arriving in Berlin around mid-morning. And it departs from Berlin on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Sunday evenings, generally a little bit later, and arriving in Brussels around 9 a.m., depending on the service you choose. So you can expect the journey to take a good 12 hours or so, but you can book either convertible seats or beds in little cabins to get some sleep along the way. Uh, So if you just don't really mind about sleeping. A seat will set you back around 69 euros. But I have to say that doesn't sound that comfortable on a 12-hour journey. Mm -hmm. Um, If you do want a convertible seat that converts into a bed or a bed in a six-bunk cabin, I believe that those are around 109 euros per ticket. And for a private cabin all of your own, um, which sounds very luxurious, you'll be probably expected to shell out at least 200 euros. Okay. And how is it now easier to get to the UK? Well, I do already have friends who travel by train between Berlin and the UK, but really is a slog. And they often have to wait hours overnight for a connecting service from Brussels, even camping in the station uh, for hours on end. Luckily, this service matches up pretty well with the Eurostar connections from Brussels to London. And especially if you're traveling back from the UK to Germany, generally there's only an hour wait between chains, which gives you a bit of a buffer, um, but isn't too long to just get a coffee. In fact, if you're lucky, you can do the full journey in between 14 and 16 hours. And the great part is that you can spend most of that sleeping. So for people who aren't that keen on flying, this is really great news. And are there plans to extend this service? Yeah, if the service is popular enough, uh, European Sleeper have said they're really hoping to make it a daily service at some point, even as soon as 2024. Excellent. Thank you so much. Let's move on and talk about the reasons why so many people are becoming German at the moment. Figures released this week show that in 2022, around 168,500 foreign nationals became German citizens. And that's the highest number of naturalizations recorded within a year since 2002. Rachel, what do we know about the increase? That's a good question, Rach. So the number of naturalizations in Germany last year increased by around 37,000 or 28 percent compared to the previous year. And it was actually the Syrian nationals who made up a third of the increase, so about 48,300 people. And under the current citizenship law, those who want to become German citizens can do so after six years of residence in Germany um, if they meet certain requirements, like having special integration achievements or uh, educational or professional accomplishments. So that timeline lines up with the big wave of immigration that Germany experienced during the refugee crisis between 2014 and 2016. So a lot of Syrians for the first time in 2022 were meeting the requirements. So of course, the the normal citizenship route is eight years, but it's reduced to six years in cases of special integration. As the law stands, of course, that will change probably in future. 
That's right, Rach. According to a new draft law, the time could be reduced to five years if they meet those requirements. And what other nationalities are being naturalized most in Germany? So the next largest groups being naturalized were Ukrainians, followed by nationals from Iraq and then from Turkey. But all in all, um, people with 171 different nationalities um, belong to the group that were nationalized last year. And of course, there were a lot of Brits who were receiving German citizenship. In fact, in 2022, 2,315 Brits um, also got German citizenship, which was a big spike compared to a decade earlier when only 325 did. And not surprisingly, since 2016, when Brexit was announced, um, there have been several thousand every year. And that number peaked in 2019 with a total of 4,930 naturalizations. Wow. So, so many people wanting to get their German citizenship after Brexit and then they'll be in the EU again. Exactly. So why were naturalizations so high in Germany in 2002? Well, it's interesting because at the beginning of the decade, there was also a legal change in Germany reducing the number of years um, you needed to have of continuous residence in Germany from 15 to 8. Um, and that was the number of years you needed in this country to receive citizenship, assuming that you met all of the requirements. Um, and the period was also reduced for children and spouses of German nationals. So the number of naturalizations rose significantly at the beginning of the new millennium in Germany after amended law in 2000 to lower the required period of continuous residence in Germany from 15 years to eight. So a lot of people decided that that would be the time for them to apply for citizenship. And of course, they received citizenship and also the required period of residence for children and spouses of Germans was also reduced. So this group of people jumped on the boat in order to get their citizenship. Really interesting, because as we mentioned, there is another law change expected soon, right? Yes, absolutely. And this is also, I would say, almost on a bigger scale uh, than the changes we saw in 2002. You know, the dual, dual nationality or the hold, allowing the holding of multiple nationalities, that is going to open the doors for so many people, just like in 2002, when people were suddenly able to naturalise in much less time. And of course, we also know that the time is going to be reduced yet again. Currently, mm -hmm. it is eight years. It's going to be reduced to five and even three in exceptional circumstances. So, so many more people will be eligible. And I think we're already seeing the applications start to ramp up. Thank you so much for that, guys. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We did hear last week in our citizenship-themed episode about problems at immigration offices with application delays, but unsurprisingly, it's also affecting residency permits. A report this week said that foreigners' offices are seriously struggling to keep up with permit applications from skilled workers. Imogen, what effect is this having? Well, this is a pretty bad issue for Germany to have at a time when it's desperate to attract as many skilled workers as possible into the country. Uh, It basically, in a nutshell, means that the process of approving visas or residence permits has just become painfully slow, which has the knock-on effect, of course, of limiting the number of people who can enter the country each year. But it's also uh, creating huge headaches for migrants uh, because there's a huge amount of uncertainty about whether they'll be able to renew their visas or get granted a residence permit in time, especially if they're already in the country and worried about accidentally overstaying or perhaps expecting to start a new job by a certain date or even a university course, um, which obviously can't be moved or pushed back. And how long is the wait generally for people? Well, that partly depends on whether you're allowed to enter the country first and then apply from Germany or whether you have to apply from your home country. Uh, So we know that a fair few nations like the UK and the US have deals with the EU that mean they can enter Germany without a visa and make an application to stay for longer. Apparently, this process is currently taking an average of three to four months, which is incredibly stressful if you're only technically allowed to stay in the country legally for 90 days without a visa. Um, Having said that, applying from abroad can take much, much longer. So people from, for example, India or China are facing really, really long waits before they can make the move to Germany and start their new job or their new life. And what is Germany doing to try and attract more skilled workers and why? So we've talked uh, before about the upcoming Skilled Immigration Act, which is kind of the cornerstone of this attempt to bring in more skilled workers. It's basically um, all about making it much easier for people with a degree or a certain amount of work experience to move to Germany. Uh, That's mostly going to be done with the introduction of a new points-based system uh, where people can earn points towards their application. For example, if they speak a little bit of German and they have either training or experience in a certain field. But there are also plans to make recognition of qualifications easier, do things like simplify the blue card application process, not to mention all the reforms to citizenship laws, which we've just mentioned, that should make it way more attractive for immigrants to stay in the country. Really, the background to all this is that Germany is facing an absolutely dire worker shortage in pretty much every field and industry, largely because of this massive retirement wave among the baby boomer generation that's happening at the moment. So just last year, uh, companies in Germany has had 630,000 vacancies 
days that went unfilled. And the Federal Employment Agency estimates that Germany needs at least 400,000 people to come to the country each year in order to plug the gap. Though some experts say the real number is over a million. So this isn't just a problem for companies. Um, it's one of the key reasons why people, for example, can't find a plumber and why Germany keeps missing its house building targets. And ironically enough, a lack of staff is also a key problem in the foreigner's office, which is causing delays to people's visa applications. Yeah, it sounds really bad. Thanks for that, Imogen. People in Germany who have a migration background can face various forms of discrimination in everyday life. And one question that can bring up mixed feelings is, where are you from? And it can sometimes lead to, where are you really from? Shelley Pasquale, a communications specialist, journalist and former reporter at The Local, wrote in an article five years ago about why people should stop asking this question in Germany. She's been thinking about this more and wrote another article for us recently as she gets ready to welcome her first child into the world. We'll hear from Shelley in a moment, but first, let's have a quick chat about a recent survey on discrimination reported by people with a migration background in Germany. Rachel, what were the findings? According to a survey released in April by the Bertelsmann Foundation, more than one in three people with a migration background, meaning foreigners or children of foreigners, say that they've felt discrimination either very often or often in the past 12 months. And a further 13% of the population said that they felt discriminated because of their ethnic origin, uh, meaning because of their language, their name, their religion, um, or just because they come from another country. And we have asked readers of the local, most of whom are foreign nationals in Germany, about their experiences regarding discrimination. That's right, Rach. So we've done two reader surveys in recent years, both about discrimination in the housing market and in the workplace. And in both situations, readers have told us that they feel they've been discriminated against either directly or because they have a foreign-sounding name. And they say that people perceived as typically German have gotten preferential treatment. Let's hear from Shelley, who's based in Passau in Bavaria, but was born in Canada to Filipino parents. I started off by asking Shelley to tell us a bit about herself. I'm Canadian. That's how I identify Though I feel very European, which might sound strange to some, but it's because I've lived here quite a long time. I've lived in Germany since 2012, so just about 11 years. I mean, having said that, it was about a year where I, I did my master's in the UK. So more or less, I say I've lived in Germany for over a decade now. So you have been in Germany a long time, and I know that you speak fluent German, but you wrote in a recent article for The Local that even if you did get German citizenship in future, you think that you would always be considered a foreigner here. Can you share more about your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean... It's, it's a tricky one, I think, and it's very personal, and I'm sure not everyone feels that way. But for me, it's it's more a feeling, you know. I've, I've lived in now four very different German cities, from Niedersachsen, Lower Saxony, all the way now in Bayern. And, and everywhere I've lived, I've, I've never gotten really close to feeling German. So I've kind of come to the conclusion, although this could change, but kind of come to the conclusion that it's, um, you know, no matter how well I speak the language or how integrated I am or how many German friends I make, there's still this feeling of always being a bit of an outsider. And, and one thing that sort of always perpetuates that is just this question that I often get. And, and I know it's 
coming from a good place. Usually when people ask like, where are you from? I just feel like there's an assumption behind that question, which is that I can't possibly be German, you know, because I guess if you assume someone is German, you might ask the question a bit differently, for instance, right? But um, as I did mention in the piece, just recently, this was just, I don't know, right before the piece was published, the weekend before, there is some light at the end of the tunnel because some someone did assume and, and think I was German and I was so taken off guard that I was, I didn't know what to say. I was a bit shocked, but happy. And, and that was like the very first time after 11 years that mm-hmm. I was mistaken for German. So I guess if more and more instances like that were to happen, that'd be definitely a good thing. I'd love to see that happen. Mm-hmm. And you wrote a bit about your son who is coming into the world very soon. What do you hope for his experience regarding identity and the way people deal with it here? Yeah, I mean, it's really, I think, superficial to say, because I think it's a bit more of a bigger thing. But of course, if we look at this question, I, one thing I do hope is that he isn't asked this question. <laughs> you know, where are you from? Where are you actually from? Just people trying to get a sense of why he looks the way he does. I, I hope he doesn't get that question, but I am skeptical. I'm pretty sure he will, just based on what I hear from other people who have German kids here, kids of color. Um even that go to schools that are very multicultural in Berlin, for instance, it's something you just can't seem to avoid no matter where you live in Germany. But the bigger picture would be, of course, that I hope he is just accepted, right? And he feels like he belongs. And and you could argue that, you know, even if he is asked that question, he could still feel like he belongs. So that's something I would not be able to know or predict. And kind of, I guess I, I would stay optimistic that that were to happen in that way. Yeah. And you've been chatting with some people who have a migration background in Germany. What are their experiences or what's been the reaction to your story? Yeah, so I was kind of surprised um, that a lot of people got in touch. And, and even people who have German kids that don't live in Germany anymore, where people ask, hey, where are you from? And then it's really hard for them to, to describe. But one story that sort of stood out to me the most is, is a friend who recently moved back to the UK. So we met when I lived in Munich and she was also living there. And um, she once she told me that one of the big reasons why they moved back to the UK is so that they could have their child in, in a more multicultural society. And that even that the fact that she now has German citizenship, dual British German, she just, yeah, it's hard for her to picture bringing up her child in Germany for that reason that she always kind of felt like a foreigner and that it was never enough, even for her. So Although I'm not yet a German citizen, I hope to be one day dual, but I can't, unfortunately, yet. But it was really, really like, wow, that really stuck with me. Um, And it resonates with me a lot how she feels. Do you think Germany has become more accepting of people from diverse backgrounds over the time that you've been living here, Shelley? I mean, I would definitely say a lot has changed in the past over a decade. It's not the same place it was in 2012, for sure. And I've always felt more or less welcome here. Um, which is a good thing, regardless of being asked that question um, now and then. But um, it it is good to see, like on German television and German Netflix series, for instance, you see more and more people of color, which normalize it, which I think is really good. And I just want to see that continue in that direction. But I think, like, for instance, in professional settings anyway, um, I still know so many people, like friends and acquaintances who uh, were born and raised in Germany, but have a migrant background from Poland, from Syria, that are still known as like that token Polish colleague, you know, no matter what they do, no matter how, I mean, their native language is German and their colleagues still sort of refer to them in that way. And I think that 
definitely will take time, but I hope with, you know, maybe like pieces like these that we're bringing these issues to the fore, that mindsets could change. That's, that's what I'd love to see. And hopefully not decades from now, but years from now in the next few years. Absolutely. And I also wanted to ask Shelley, how do you think Germany could get better at tackling discrimination? That's a very big question, I know. <laughs> oh, that's a super good question. I mean, I think it starts with me too, you know, like there have been times where I've been lazy <laughs> when people do ask that question and oh, I can't be bothered to explain or tell them. But it would help, you know, if I open my mouth and, and say, hey, you know, and just even if it's one sentence to let them know, that, hey, that wasn't appropriate or I'm not comfortable with that. And maybe you can consider saying this a certain way. Because on the other hand, the other kind of uh, feedback I got from the piece were, were Germans themselves who were like, thank you for writing that because it's something that I had never thought about. And I never realized this question could possibly be offensive to people. So I, I was really glad to kind of get that feedback from people because for those who had never even realized it was an issue, now they know and I guess are more aware of it. So, so it's kind of a societal thing. <laughs> if we're all more aware, I, I guess, and I hope it will get better. That was so lovely to hear from Shelley there. We'll include her articles in the show notes. And of course, we wish her all the best with her Elternzeit. So we are into a new month. So let's talk about what events are happening across Germany this June. Imogen, what are you excited about this month? Well, uh, by the time this podcast comes out on Friday, it will actually be the first day of Hessentag, which runs from June 2nd all the way through to the 11th. If you haven't heard of it before, uh, it's basically a big cultural festival and a celebration of all things Hessian. And this year is particularly special as it's the 50th anniversary of the first ever Hessentag way back in 1973. So the location changes every year um, and this year it's being held in a little town called Fungstadt, uh, which is a bit of a tongue twister and is, is located not too far from Darmstadt in the south of Hesse. So there'll be music, you know, beer, performances, food, a little Schlager festival and even a parkour challenge, which is going to be based on the TV show Ninja Warriors, uh, which is basically the German version of Gladiators. So that sounds really, really fun. I'm going to recommend Fête de la Musique, which originally started in France, um, but it's also known as World Music Day, and it takes place in Berlin on June the 21st. And so streets, parks and venues will host live music performances from all kinds of genres and backgrounds. You should definitely check this out, guys. It's amazing. I love Fette de Musique. It's one of the highlights of the calendar in Berlin. And it's great because whatever area you live in, you can always find something going on because it's, of course, all over the city um, at different pubs, as you say, parks. Mauer Park is always good fun. So, yeah, great suggestion. Absolutely. And sometimes there are just performances. They pop up out of nowhere. Just someone starts playing music and it's, it's just like a good vibe. Definitely. Yeah, the city comes alive with music. I'm going to talk about uh, my event, which is also a music festival, but a very different type of music festival <laughs> because it's celebrating the composer Bach. And he was not born in Leipzig, but that's where he was a famous composer for many years. And this festival is coinciding with the 
300th anniversary of when he made his first appearance there. And so to celebrate, there's going to be 150 events with renowned international musicians and groups who will honor his legacy. And they're also going to be taking place all over Leipzig. Amazing. That sounds brilliant. When is that taking place, Rachel? Did you say? Uh, It's going to be taking place for 10 days, so the 8th of June until the 18th of June. Brilliant. So that's it for this week. Thank you to all our listeners. And we will add links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about. This week's panelists have been Imogen Goodman and Rachel Stern. Our guest was Shelley Pasquale and our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. We hope you enjoyed listening. Please leave a review or a rating and follow us wherever you listen and get your podcasts. And we will be back next week. Until then, take care. 